Now, that brings us to Psalm 139. And Psalm 139 is another psalm of David's. And this is a theological psalm. This is a psalm that reveals something of the attributes of God in relation to his creation. And we have God's omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence here. Now, those are great big words I recognize, but the omniscience of God means God has all knowledge. The omnipresence of God means God is present everywhere. And then the omnipotence of God means that he has all power, and he can do anything that is the object of power. But sometimes the ridiculous question is asked, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? And the answer to that is God never does anything ridiculous, and he doesn't do that. Now, this is a psalm that's going to answer several questions for us that are very pertinent at the present moment. Let me begin reading it. We have first the omniscience of God. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. God knows you and me. He knows you today. He is the greatest psychologist. And that's the reason that many of you over the period of the past two and a half years in this program, I've suggested when we come to it in Scriptures that when you have a problem, it's not necessary to climb upon the psychiatrist's couch and tell him everything. Why don't you climb upon the couch of the Lord Jesus? And why don't you just tell him everything? And you just well tell him because he knows. The psychiatrist won't know. Even after you've told him everything that you can think of, he still doesn't know you. But, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. God knows you because he knows everything. Thou knowest my downsetting, mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compass my path and my lying down. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but, lo, Lord, thou knowest it altogether. And by the way, that word that you were a little afraid to say, it was in your tongue, and you wanted to rip out a good strong oath, and you didn't do it because of the presence of someone there. God saw it in your tongue, you know, he knows everything. He knows those words that are in your tongue. And we are told, there's not a word in my tongue, but, lo, Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain to it. Now, somebody asks the question, how can God do that? Well, I don't know, because the psalmist here said he didn't know. Such knowledge is too wonderful for us, but it doesn't keep God from knowing everything. And actually, the omniscience of God is not an occasion for terror, but actually for comfort. You know, he saved me, and yet he knew me. <laughs> That's the amazing thing about it. There are some people that you and I accept or receive, and we say, my, I've been disappointed in so-and-so. I've been disappointed many times, as I'm sure you have, in a certain individuals. You thought you knew them, but you didn't know them. God knows us, and yet he'll save us. How wonderful he is. God knew David, and yet he's a man after God's own heart. 
But Lord, David's going to let you down. God says, I know that, but I know something you don't know. That David's faith will fail, but down beneath the faith that fails, there's a faith that'll never fail. And that's the important thing. Lord, you shouldn't have chosen Simon Peter. He's going to be a great disappointment to you. No, he won't be a disappointment to me. I already know what he's going to do. And even Judas, he knew. That's the omniscience of God. Now look at the omnipresence of God. And the question is, why should anyone want to get away from God? You can't. No matter where you go, he's there. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Now, this is verse 7 of Psalm 139. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. Friends, you can't get away from him. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, you won't get away from God and you could go to the moon. You don't get away from him. To me, it was thrilling to hear those first three astronauts who went around the moon to read the first chapter of Genesis on Christmas Eve. (laughs) You don't run away from God, friends, even if you go to the moon. And even there shall thy hand lead me, thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. The man said to me, do you think we ought to confess our sins in detail unto God? I said, of course, spell them out. Oh, he said, you think we ought to mention them? Well, I said, he already knows about it anyway. So you better agree with him on it. You better spell the thing out and let him know that you know it too and that you recognize it as sin. Now we come here in this last part to the omnipotence of God. Now will you notice this beginning here with verse 13. For thou hast possessed my inward parts. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I'll praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and intricately wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Now, there's been quite a discussion today on this matter of abortion. I heard a minister say, well, the Bible hasn't anything to say about it. So you can do as you please in this connection. Now, this is the answer to it. You know, the Word of God will probably give you the answer to most problems in life. David said that he was a person. Listen to him now. My substance was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and intricately wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. He said, while I was being formed in the womb, I was a person. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unformed. The very minute that there begins to form a person in the womb, that one is a person. And in thy book all my members were written. He has already got your members there of your body, already marked out, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. You didn't need even a complete body to be a person. You were a person. 
Now, let me say this, and I want to say it very carefully, and I know I'll get reaction, but somebody better start saying this to Christians at least. Abortion, if it's not to save the life of the mother or to save the life of actually the child at times, is murder. And just to get rid of the little fella in order that the sin might not be known. My friend, if you're going to commit the sin, then you're going to pay for the sin. And if you destroy that little one, you have committed murder. That's what the Word of God says. Now, don't blame that on me. You go back and blame David, first of all. But I think you better go back of David and blame the Holy Spirit. This is a tremendous psalm. And he's talking here, if you please, about the omnipotence of our God. Then you have the wicked and the godly mentioned. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. God will judge the wicked, he says that here, and he will hear the prayer of his people. Now, we come today to this 140th Psalm. And we have been calling attention as we've gone through the book of Psalms to the little cluster. Some of them are like a bunch of grapes, all of them related to the same bunch. Maybe we should say a stalk of bananas, but they come in clusters. But the psalm that's before us today has absolutely no visible connection with the psalm that we've just looked at, that marvelous 139th psalm, the theological psalm that spoke to us of the omniscience, the omnipresence, and the omnipotence of God. Now, this psalm here, it sets before us in prophecy the last days when the godly remnant of Israel are facing the Antichrist, that false Messiah, the man of sin. And this psalm actually is a prayer, and it is a prayer of David. And he's asking and praying for protection because of the fact that evil men are about him, and the evil man is about him. A man of violence that Paul wrote about in Second Thessalonians. And David was under, apparently, some pressure at that particular time, and apparently it was, of course, that madman Saul. But it looks forward to the day when one even worse than Saul will arise. And, friends, it has an application for you and me today. Many of us that could pray this prayer, Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man, and preserve me from the violent man. Now, here is a designation of the Antichrist. He's called the evil man, and he's called the violent man. But John says there are many Antichrists, and I'm sure that many of us today have, in our experience, have come in contact with evil men. And this is the prayer of David. Deliver me, preserve me. And friends, that's always been my prayer, that, O oh God, in the ministry, do not let me fall under the influence or the power of any one man. 
That's a dangerous thing when it happens to a preacher or when he falls under the power of a little clique in a church. That's dangerous. In fact, it's dynamite. And then he goes on to say what this man does, who imagine mischiefs in their heart. Continually are they gathered together for war. They've sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips. And you remember that Paul speaks of the human race as being like that. That's the kind of a tongue that we have because the tongue you and I have got can absolutely destroy as much as any atom bomb can. It can ruin a man's character, blacken his life. That is, I should say, reputation can change his character, of course. Then he continues to pray, "'Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked one, and preserve me from the violent man who have purpose to overthrow my goings.'" This is the prayer of David, you see. Then we have included in here uh, imprecatory prayer, and we mean by that, here is a prayer that I do not think that this is a prayer for Christians to pray, but for the people that are in the great tribulation period, and they're back under law, I see no reason why they shouldn't pray this prayer. They are to pray for divine judgment and for divine wrath, but we are not to. That's not for this day of grace. Now listen to the prayer, verse 8. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Father, not his wicked device, lest they exalt themselves. Now, he's praying against the Antichrist and against that wicked man. As for the head of those who compass me about, let the mischief of their own lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire and the deep pits that they rise not up again. Now, I don't think that's a prayer today for a believer because we've already been told today, Paul says in Romans 12, verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him to drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his helm. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, don't let yourself be made bitter and carried away in enmity and trying to get even or revenge against someone because you've departed from the walk of faith. God will take care of it. And my experience has been when we keep our hands off, God will generally move in and deal with these folk today that attempt to thwart and hinder God's work. And God says, vengeance is mine. Turn the case over to me. Uh, Peel your case to the Supreme Court. Just turn it over to me. And then you can do something good now for this individual. God puts us in an unusual place. Then he says here, verse 11, "...let not an evil speaker be established in the earth. Evil shall hunt the violent man to overthrow him." In other words, if we will not forsake the path of faith, there is sure victory. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 
and the wicked tongue is not going to be established or survive. The lie will finally be made known. Satan was a liar from the beginning, and he's got a lot of his urchins running around today, but they'll be exposed someday as liars. Now we come to Psalm 141, and this is another Psalm of David. And this is a psalm that has something to do with his personal history. I'm sure that I couldn't fit it in, probably during the time that he was fleeing from Saul. And it looks ahead again to the time when the godly remnant will be struggling themselves against the evil man of that day. And it has a message for us today. It's another prayer of David. One commentator has said, David was in love with prayer. Great man of prayer. And let's notice this 141st. Lord, I cry unto thee. Make haste unto me. Give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. David is the one that mentioned the fact that prayer was like incense, sweet incense. And today, when you and I pray and praise in the name of Christ, that prayer is like sweet incense that went up out of the tabernacle when Aaron went in and sprinkled the incense on the altar of prayer. That is the golden altar. And just as that sweet incense ascended, that's the way the prayer is made. But you know, prayer should have some background to it. It should be backed up by a life. The Lord Jesus has made it very clear that today, if we expect God to hear and answer our prayers, that there must be in our lives that obedience to him. This idea today that we can just live any way and expect God to answer prayer is a big mistake. He says, if you shall ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Then he didn't stop there. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you expect him to answer prayer. Now, notice what David said here, and he learned this by better experience. Praying in the name of Christ, yes, but a life to back it up. He says, verse 3, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, keep the door of my lips. O God, don't let my life and my lips contradict each other. Don't let me pray one thing on Sunday and live something else on Monday. Let me have a life that will back it up. Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. Let the righteous smite me. Now, there are many men have to go out and work in this evil world. No question about that, and they're rubbing up against it. My friend, the boat should be in the ocean, but it's tragic when the ocean gets in the boat. And today, when a man lives in the world, acts like the world, and lives like the devil's child all week, you can't expect him to be heard by a heavenly father On Sunday, my beloved, listen to what the psalmist had already said in Psalm 66, 18. 
If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. God has not promised to hear the prayer of the wicked. And we're told that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, that's the one that availeth much. And we find in 1 John 3:22, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And the psalmist says, Keep the door of my lips here, and don't incline my heart to any evil thing. I want my prayer to be powerful before Almighty God. This is wonderful. Now, verse 80 says, But mine eyes are unto thee, O God. The Lord in thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares which they've laid for me, and the traps of the workers of iniquity. And he prays to God that he'll not fall into the traps of the wicked. You know, the devil is attempting to trip us up all the time. And he has all kinds of devices. And unfortunately, we're not even as wise, that is, some of us are not even as wise as the carnal Christians in Corinth, because Paul could say to them, we're not ignorant of his devices. And some of us seem to be woefully ignorant of it. And so he prays to be delivered from evil so that his prayer will be a potent prayer. Now we come to the 142nd Psalm, and this is a masculine psalm. We're told here it's a psalm of David. Masculine means instruction. That is, you and I can learn something from this psalm as we can, for that matter, from all of them. And this, again, is a great prayer of David. And David is praying out of a cave here. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. Now, where was he? We are told here, and this is part of the inspired text, a mascal of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. Now, we're not told which cave it was. There was the cave of En Gedi. That's mentioned over in 1 Samuel 24. I passed by En Gedi when we were over there the last time. They've made a new road down by the Dead Sea that goes all the way from Jericho up to Masada. And it's very interesting country because it's opened up an area that's been closed to practically every tourist that goes over there. But now you can see actually in Gideon. That's where David hid. I would say it's a good place to hide. Then there was the cave of Adullam. And in the cave of Adullam is where this man David went the first time. And both of these caves are known. Apparently this is the one. And we are told that uh, it was at this cave that those that were in distress, those that were in debt, those that were discontented, that's when they gathered to him. And about 400 men came to David there at the very beginning. In this place, prayed this prayer, evidently, that he said, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. And this is Psalm 142, 2 that I've just read. In other words, he laid before God everything that was in his heart and in his life. And I think that's the way that we should pray today. This idea today we're to pray around something 
Are we to rationalize in our prayer? Are we to pray all the way around Robin's barn? I think we ought to just come right down to it and get right down to the nitty-gritty and tell God everything in our lives. He said, I showed before him my trouble. You can tell him about your temptations. You can tell him about everything. Here is a very wonderful thing that Fenelon wrote years ago, and I passed this on. I passed it on to hundreds of people. I'd like to share it again. I think sometime in this Through the Bible program during the past two and a half years, I have read this before. It'll be worth reading again sometime. Will you listen to it now? And I'm quoting, "'Tell God all that's in your heart, as one unloads one's heart, its pleasures and its pains to a dear friend. Tell him your troubles that he may comfort you. Tell him your joys that he may sober them. Tell him your longings that he may purify them. Tell him your dislikes that he may help you to conquer them.' Talk to him of your temptations, that he may shield you from them. Show him the wounds of your heart, that he may heal them. Lay bare your indifference to good, your depraved taste, your for evil, your instability. Tell him how self-love makes you unjust to others, how vanity tempts you to be insincere, how pride disguises you to yourself as to others. If you thus pour out all your weaknesses, needs, troubles, there will be no lack of what to say. You will never exhaust the subject. It is continually being renewed. People who have no secrets from each other never want subjects of conversation. They do not weigh their words, for there is nothing to be held back. Neither do they seek for something to say. They talk out of the abundance of the heart without consideration just what they think. Blessed are they that attain to such familiar, unreserved intercourse with God. My friend David had that marvelous, wonderful relationship with Almighty God. And he prayed that kind of prayer here in all these other Psalms that we have here. Now, will you notice this? I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. You see, David, a young man, was anointed king, was in the court of King Saul, and that mad king threw a javelin at him, wanted to pin him to the wall. And this man, David, had to flee for his life. And he finally complained. He was hunted like a partridge. It was open season on him all the time, and he had to keep running. And out of that situation, this young man lifts his heart and cries out to God, He says, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they secretly laid a snare for me. They tried to trap David. And David looked to the Lord, and God was guiding him. And he says, I looked on my right hand and beheld. There was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. That was David's condition at first, but... Finally, 400 men joined him, and he knew God was in all of it. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. This man, David, and I think two things we ought to note. He hid in the cave because if he'd been taken, Saul would have killed him. But somebody says he was trusting the Lord. Yes, but the Lord expects you to use some good old 
gumption, just good old sanctified common sense. That's what he expects us to do. Now we come to another marvelous prayer of David in Psalm 143 here. And here you have an urgent appeal of this man for help. And this is a very wonderful, oh, this is a marvelous psalm. And you see David again, no inhibitions, just opens up his heart to God. Oh, that we'd learn to pray like that. He says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me, and in thy righteousness. Now, this is the kind of prayer that David's praying, and he appeals to the faithfulness and righteousness of God for an answer. And isn't that exactly what John told us to do today? That is, Christians, what are you to do about your sins? First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. Here we have the faithfulness of God and just, and that's righteous. Here you have the righteousness of God. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's what he did for David. This is a psalm that just lays bare this man's experience. And this is a very wonderful psalm. It's a great prayer. (laughs) And it's one that can fit into your experience and my experience today. And it's a prayer that we can rest upon the faithfulness of God and the righteousness of God to forgive our sins. And they rested upon that. In Micah 7.20, we're told, Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Now, if you believe God is through with the nation Israel, why, read a verse like that. And then Exodus 2, 24 and 25, God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel. God had respect unto them. Why? Because he's faithful and he's righteous. And Paul says this in Romans 10, 3, "...for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God." Now, he's talking about this nation. That's their problem today. And friends, that's the problem of the Gentile today, trying to work at a religion, trying to do something to please God. He's already done something for you, and you please him when you accept what he has done. For Paul continues in Romans 10, 3 to say, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And then he cries out in this prayer here. Listen to him. He says, Answer me speedily. Jehovah, my spirit faileth. This is verse 7 here. And hide not thy face from me, or I shall be like them that go down to the pit. In other words, he's saying, you're my only help. And he said in verse 6, and I should have read that, I stretch forth my hands unto thee, my soul thirsteth after thee like a thirsty land. I've watched it rain out on the desert in that sandy soil. And my, that rains and rains and rains. 
and it doesn't run off. That thirsty land's drinking it up. And finally, when it's filled up, that's when you have a flash flood. What a picture that we have here, friends, in this marvelous 143rd Psalm. Now, friends, we come to the 144th Psalm, and this again is a Psalm of David. And it has in it things that make it very similar to the 18th Psalm. And you will recall that that was another great psalm that we emphasized when we were there. It was a psalm of David in which he began, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. And then he says in that psalm, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. And that was when he was delivered from the hand of King Saul. And obviously, this was one of the experiences which this man had. It looks forward again to a day that's coming when his people will be in the great tribulation period. And it will be a time of great suffering and a time of great distress. And at that time, again, they will turn to God in prayer. And in between those two events... It certainly works for all the saints of God today. So let's come to it and let me begin reading. Blessed be the Lord, my strength, who teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. What does he mean by that? There are those, of course, that'll jump at this and say, my, look, God is a warlike God in the Old Testament. My friend, if you lived in David's day then you would have been, I think, very comfortable to feel that you were protected from the enemies round about you, that you could defend yourself. And the Lord Jesus made it very clear. This idea today that he was a pacifist and he was for peace and he's the prince of peace and there'll not be peace on this earth till he comes. He gives peace to the human heart today. He gives peace with God through the forgiveness of sins. But he also said, a strong man armed keepeth his house. And that's what David is saying here. And in the great tribulation, they're going to need a little protection, by the way. And I'm not sure but what it's very comfortable to know that, or at least we're told today that we have an arsenal that's filled with atom bombs. And I hope that we don't get some nut in power in this country that's going to throw them all away and talk like some fanatic that we can just depend on the goodness of human nature to take care of us. May I say that's brought many a nation down into the dust today, and many of them are in rubble because of that. Some of the Greek states tried that. They had a wonderful civilization But it's in dust and ruins and rubble over there today because they couldn't protect themselves. Now, will you listen to verse 2? He says, My goodness, speaking of God, that he's my goodness. And if you and I have any righteousness, it's Christ. And my fortress, he's my protector, my high tower, my deliverer. And friends, it's good to know that we have the arsenal of atom bombs. But I want to also make sure that God's my protector and that he's still my fortress and my high tower 
and my deliverer and my shield, and he in whom I trust, who subdueth my people under me. Now, it's David speaking. Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him? Are the son of man that thou makest account of him? Why take note of a little man? Man's not, very frankly, he doesn't amount to very much. Man is like the vanity. And that word actually means here, man's nothing. And without God, man is nothing. Life is purposeless today without God. A man came to me when I was pastor in Nashville. I was sitting in my study, and he just walked in. And he had an old rusty gun. It looked like a forty-five to me. And he said to me, he says, if you can't give me some reason why I shouldn't kill myself, I'm going to kill myself. And I said, well, you sure put me on a spot because I can't think of any reason why you shouldn't. But I want to say this to you. You're not going to solve your problem by taking your life. All you're doing is you're going to remove your problems to a place where you can't get a solution because you will have fixed your eternal destiny. But I said, here and now, you can make a decision for God and add a little purpose to your life. And you won't be in such a big hurry to get out of this life. But you'll know that when you do, you're going into the presence of the living God. May I say to you that life is quite empty. I have a clip in here of a man, I suppose he was a Swedish man, and he was the inheritor of a fortune that is said to be the largest fortune in the world, $5 billion. I don't know how much that is, but it's a whole lot of money. And that man took his life. Well, $5 billion didn't keep him here. And he found out life is rather purposeless. And friends, without Jesus Christ, without God, man's like vanity, emptiness, just no purpose at all. Now listen to him as he pleads with God. Verse 5, Bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. This is a great verse. Here we have a statement that Isaiah confirmed in Isaiah 64. He says, Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens, that thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. All for God to break in into human events, God to intrude again into human history. And he's going to do that someday. I don't want to take a fanatical position and say he's going to do it tomorrow or even this century. I don't know. But the fact is that he is going to intrude again into human history. Now he says, verse 6, "...cast forth lightning and scatter them, shoot out thine arrows and destroy them." Now when he comes again, he's coming in judgment. There's nothing wrong with this. The whole tenor of Scripture, including the New Testament is that he's coming in judgment, and we have no more vivid and dramatic picture than you have in the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation when John says he saw a door open in heaven and one on a white horse coming forth. He's coming forth conquering and a conquer, my friend. Now, that is the picture that the Word of God presents. Maybe you don't like it, but it's in the Word of God. Now, at that time, he says, I'll sing a new song unto thee, O God, 
And that is the day and the only day they'll be able to. Now we come to the 145th Psalm, and this is the last of the Psalms that mentions David as the author. And they're the only ones we can be sure of. He might have written and probably did write some of the others. But this is the last one that is mentioned. And this is a very remarkable psalm. It is an acrostic again. That means that each verse here, and you notice there are 21 verses here, and each one begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But somebody says, I thought there were 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And the answer is yes, but there are only 21 verses here. Well, there's one that's left out, and it is the noon. It begins with Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, Haywow, and so on. But when you get down to Maine, you miss noon. And that letter is not here. And then that's caused the critic to come along and say, my, now the verse was left out by some transcriber. It was omitted by him. It should be here. Well, my friend, I think that it's left out for a very definite reason. And the very definite reason is that this is a great psalm of praise to God. It opens with, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever. And this is the introduction to the last psalms, and all of them are hallelujah psalms. And it's just an increasing crescendo as you go to the very end, now the book of Psalms. And here, though, there's one left out. And you wonder why. Does that speak of the fact that praise is imperfect? And I think it does. We're not having yet the fullest of praise. Actually, you don't get all the hallelujahs till you get to the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. Will you listen to this? And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord God. And again they said, Hallelujah! And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. There's the seventh hallelujah. There is the missing hallelujah. And the praise in this psalm here, then, is not quite complete, or any of these. And that's going to be the day that it'll come to pass that what the angels said. You remember that the angels made it very clear. Glory to God in the highest. Why? Because he was born in Bethlehem, and there was to be peace. But there wasn't, friend. And we've never been able to sing the Hallelujah Chorus perfectly yet. Never has it been. But there's coming a day, and that day will come when he comes forth. And it will be a great day when they'll be able to sing praises unto him. What a glorious, wonderful psalm this is here. Now, will you notice, and we probably ought to look down in the psalm. Well, we have here, I will extol thee, my God, O King. I'll bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee. This is not just for the 
Sabbath day or for Sunday, but this is for every day will I bless thee. What a wonderful thing this is. There are days when we don't feel like blessing him. And we sometimes can sing and do him. We praise him for all that's past, trust him for all that is to come. Well, we can trust him for all that's past. And we can praise him for all that is to come. And so you have here this marvelous psalm of praise under our God here. It's a very wonderful psalm. And there's so many things down in it that we'd like to lift out. Again, we are told, verse 17, "...the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works." The Lord is near unto all those who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. And whoever you are, wherever you are, however you are right now, if you mean business with God, you can get right into his presence if you want to. But a lot of folk are stiff-arming God today, and that's one reason that they go through a ritual in a church, actually to get away from God. And that's the best way to get away from him that I know of. But you can come directly and immediately into his presence right now. One of the great doctrines that the Reformation brought back to us was the priesthood of believers. That is, that you have access to God. Christian friend today, and if you are unsaved, he invites you to come to him for salvation. God is available, and we have access, we are told, to him today. This is a glorious, wonderful psalm. Now I must move on. When we come now to Psalm 146, these five concluding psalms here are hallelujah psalms. If you'll notice, they begin and end with, Praise ye the Lord. And that, of course, is hallelujah. The 146 says, Praise ye the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. And that means not with the lips, but genuinely to praise God. Now it says in verse 3, "...put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help." This is the very interesting statement here. Dr. A.C. Gabeline, years ago, told about a visit that he had from a Jewish friend who came to him, And he said that there was a warning in the Old Testament against Jesus as the Son of Man. And this was the verse that he gave to Dr. Gabeline. He says, it says here, put not your trust in the Son of Man. And then Dr. Gabeline explained to him, he says that if he was only the Son of Man, then you shouldn't put your trust in him. But he's more than the Son of Man. He is the Son of God also, and that he actually was Emmanuel, God with us. And since he was Emmanuel, God with us, that's the reason they could call him Jesus, because he'd save his people from their sin. Now, we see that the Lord is mentioned here three times, and we have in this closing verse three times Well, in the closing here, he's mentioned eight times. Jehovah looseth the prisoners. Jehovah openeth the eyes of the blind. And if they're open today, he'll be the one to do it. Jehovah raiseth those that are bowed down. Jehovah loveth the righteous. Jehovah preserveth the strangers. 
He sustains the fatherless and the widow. God is the one that's in the business of helping. As Jehovah, he's Redeemer. As Creator, he is Elohim. The Psalms make that abundantly clear. Now we have in the 147th Psalm here another great hallelujah psalm. And here again, praise ye the Lord, for it's good to sing praises unto our God. It's pleasant, and praise is fitting. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathered together the outcasts of Israel. And you can see that that has a future fulfillment. He hasn't done that yet. He hath not dealt with us. And I'm reading now the 20th verse, and you should look at that. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for his ordinances, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. The nation Israel is unique. They're the only nation that ever were given the title of being the chosen people. They're the only ones given as the custodians of the revelation of God. And God not only gave them that, but he also, in that word, says he has an eternal purpose with them. That is the thing he's praising them for here. You're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and you're to pray also for this nation, that God will fulfill his promises to them. Now, will you notice 148? Praise ye the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens. Now, you have in this 148th Psalm, you have praise in the heavenlies. That will include the believers, I think. Praise Jehovah from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. This is moving now to a mighty crescendo when heaven and earth well, praise God. And now we come to the 149th Psalm. Praise ye the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. And we've already seen that new song. That's over in the book of Revelation. They're going to sing a new song. And that new song is that he's a redeemer. He is not only creator, and we should praise him for that. That's the reason it's nice to walk up on the mountaintop, I walk down by the ocean, and then you can praise him. I think that when you're flying by air, by plane, going anywhere, that's a good time to praise the Lord also. And what a marvelous picture that we have like that. Now we come to the 150th Psalm, and this Psalm pulls out all the stops. Listen to it. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psalter and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Now, this is the great hundred and... 50th Psalm, and this is the one glory to God in the highest peace and glory for him. This is the time when the message of the angels at the birth of Christ will be realized. And you have here something interesting. I'm not a musician, but I've been told that there are four major stops on an organ. And the first stop is diapason. That is the bass section. 
And that speaks of the creation, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Then you have here the flute stop on the organ. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psalter and harp. Now, that brings in the mountains and the hills. Now, praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with stringed instruments. And then there is that string stop that's on the organ. That's what they tell me. I don't know anything about music. And then there is the fourth stop, major stop, that's known as Vox Humana. Now, our God, he stepped up to the organ of creation. And he came down on that bass section, and the stars sang together. And then he pulled out the flute stop. And I tell you that the moon then joined in, and the mountains joined in, and the sea joined in. And he pulled out the string. And all of the created animals, the birds, all of them joined in. Then he pulled out Vox Humana, and it is out of tune. It was out of tune, friend. Vox Humana was out of tune. And I'm told that that's the stop that'll get out of tune quicker on an organ, that a little change of weather will cause it. And yonder in the Garden of Eden, God came down in the cool of the day, and Vox Humana wasn't there to praise Him. And He's been out of tune ever since. But the Lord Jesus came to this earth, died on a cross, rose again. Is it God's right hand right now? to bring you and me back into tune. And one of these days, he'll pull out a Vox Humana stop, and we have the new song. They'll sing a new song in heaven, and we'll join that hallelujah chorus. And at that time, Vernon McGee's going to be able to sing, and you're going to be able to sing, and we're going to sing praises unto God. And until then, well... I say praise his holy name and praise him for the book of Psalms. One writer has said, a psalm a day keeps worry away. I found when I was sick in the hospital, every night when I could read, I turned to the book of Psalms. I read several psalms. I find out today that nights when I can't sleep, the part of the Word of God, I like to turn to the book of Psalms. You know, he giveth songs in the night. God today wants to speak to you through this book of Psalms. He wants to comfort your heart. And he can pull out these stops as no psychiatrist can do. And you can open up your heart before the living and true God and sing praises unto him. Friends, that will get rid of your hang-up. That'll do more for you than anything else. Praise the Lord. The Lord is good. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so.